0: Well, welcome once again to Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sabalero, and uh, Kelly Grayson is back with me. But before we talk to him, this episode of the Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by Boundary Medical. Learn how Boundry can help you save minutes and lives at Boundtree.com. And I went through that pretty quick, but only because I miss my partner. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, Kelly Grayson. KG, how the heck you been doing?
1: I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm, I'm holding steady, I'm going stir-crazy with the the honeydew list at home. Normally, when you think of shelter-in-place and stay-at-home orders, you, you think you can relax. No, no, no. The domestic partner pulls out the list of, of things that I have to accomplish in the next whatever.
0: I'd be happy to know. I'd be happy to see if uh, how things have increased uh, profit-wise for Lowe's and menards and uh, they have
1: certainly Home they Depot. have certainly gotten their share of my money that's for darn sure you know, i make my online orders we do a curbside pickup but uh we're we're out there um buying paint and lumber and electrical equipment and Scott everything else yeah very funny well i think that that
0: is an opportunity though i mean you know if mm-hmm. there's anything good that comes from this since we are sheltering in place and and you know practicing all the things that we need to practice a lot of times you know what we neglect in our own home is things that we have to get done right and yeah. uh you know so hopefully um with spending time in uh you know at home we're able now to kind of put our own affairs in order uh home-wise you know do the projects we wanted to do paint and so on and so forth but you know um, I, I, think that, uh, we've been doing a good job of, you know, kind of focusing on COVID-19, you know, and, and Kelly over the past few weeks, we, you know, we've talked to a paramedic and we've talked to a nurse and an administrator and a medical director. And we had, you know, Catherine Counts on, uh, Dr. Counts on, you know, to kind of talk about from the research side and the numbers side, what do we need to look at? And everybody keeps an eye on New York City because they were affected, you know, so bad, and uh, in earlier in the week, our show with David Koenig, he, he really kind of focused on what he was seeing there, and, you know, you've been out doing your best paramedic stuff, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, i kind of talk about that all the time when you're not around, and I, I'd really just be curious to kind of talk to you a little bit, you know, as a paramedic, as a trainer, I'd really like to know, you know, because you are really in this mix of delivering the highest quality mm-hmm. of patient care to the citizens you serve, but you're also one of the go-to educators in our career field. And I think that there's a lot of things that you've been trying to do with your students and, you know, things that you've been trying to do to keep people kind of up to speed on education. So I'd really like to kind of take it, you know, from your perspective, what have you been seeing? So just first overall, if you can kind of give us maybe an update of what's going on in Louisiana. We know that New Orleans was pegged kind of earlier on, but, you know, how are things going down there?
1: We we're trending downward steadily. It's it's looking much better. Uh, uh, our governor John Bell Edwards uh, uh, extended the mandatory stay-at-home and, and closure orders until May the tenth. Which, um, while controversial, I don't I don't know that that wasn't prudent. I, I think that's probably a good idea. It's going to hurt financially a lot of people, but at this point, and yeah, I mean, uh, it might be the. The, the just a difference of shifting how many decimal points you're already in the red um, but uh, th- yeah that'll that'll be in place till uh, till May the tenth and then uh, the state will start to phase in reopening uh, of businesses and whatnot um, our numbers are steadily trending downward uh, our our numbers of new cases uh, are, um, our, over the past week or so have been uh, uh, fewer and fewer new cases reported every day. Uh, we started to track a new metric of, of people diagnosed that have recovered, and that number is, is close to 18,000, if not more, uh, by today. Um, yeah, our number of ventilated patients has gone down pretty dramatically, as have the, the death rate has not gone down as quickly um, but ventilated cases at our peak were, were close to 500, uh, uh, patients on vents and which was getting, uh, pretty close to, uh, the max available, uh, ventilators in Louisiana, especially in some of our, our regions in South, Southeast Louisiana. But now we're, uh, we're down to, uh, the low 200s of the patients on the vent, um, our, our mortality rate is, uh, or our, our number of deaths is approaching 2,000. It's well above uh, what we lost during Hurricane Katrina. Uh, and that number is going to continue to go up. Um, this is something, you know, I mean, we've only seen two months of this, and nationwide, what, we've got 45, uh, 45 plus thousand deaths uh, in two months. Um, it's going to make uh, our worst flu season look like, a, like a, a mild case of the sniffles by the time it's all said and done. But we're trending down. Things are looking better. Uh, the number of COVID patients I've seen on the ambulance has, has dwindled sharply, um, and uh, people are still, you know, uh, our run volume is still down because people are are not wanting to go to the hospital unless it's absolutely necessary, which... I think it's probably a good thing, but for a, a for-profit ambulance service, <laughs> uh, uh, my employers probably look at it differently. Um, but as far as the, the burden on the system, uh, it's a shame that it took a global pandemic to finally convince people that uh, they didn't need to go to the emergency department, and they certainly didn't need an ambulance to take them there. But that's hurting uh, uh, some uh, private employers a great deal. So
0: Yeah, and I but, guess you know one of
1: the things that we talked about, we had
0: asbel Montez on, you know who works for kids and yeah. ambulance? Yeah, and we
1: don't get the financial, you know, yeah. uh, stuff that that, and we're providing the vast majority of, of EMS care. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, not the vast majority, but a great percentage of the EMS care in our state. Right. And when it comes to to those uh, federal uh stipends and whatnot and 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 the support we don't get it because we're privates
0: well i gotta tell you man you got a great uh you got a great uh cheerleader on your side down there because certainly he has his hand that's in the mix yeah yeah we're certainly rooting for that because you know like you mentioned i mean you guys cover 80 percent of the state and if you guys are not getting any of that uh you know surplus money that you need to you know continue to hang on to uh, there's going to be a challenge, but let me, let me ask you this question though. So mm-hmm. it's good that you're not seeing a lot kind of in your area of where you cover, but I'm sure that, you know, Acadian being as, uh, you know, forward thinking as they are having good conceptualization, what are the things that they put in place for you to treat COVID patients or for you to be safe or whether different protocols or, you know, how has that worked out for you?
1: Well initially they they were they were pretty proactive and uh, tracking this from the very beginning and we have uh, at the very least we have been getting daily video updates and guidance from our medical director and our ops managers uh, I think this is uh, Dr. Burnell's uh, day 28 or day 29. Um, so for, for a solid month, he has been recording uh, uh, video messages to all employees uh, that we're encouraged to watch. Uh, everything from, from current numbers to the impact of, of COVID on, on uh, our, uh, our run volume and, and uh, doffing and donning procedures. And, and, and that's a constantly evolving process. It started out, you know, where we were, okay, um, we're going to wear... They had adequate stockpiles of materials uh, and equipment, but but not enough. When you consider that that uh, at some point you're going to be doffing and donning uh, full PPE with every patient, multiple times a day, and how many darn times can you wear the same N95 mask without it it turning to to uh, sawdust or or uh, a big slobber saturated uh, thing on your face? Um, so logistically we had uh, a good many supplies in place but uh but nowhere near enough and i think that was true of just about every uh, uh you know all major systems uh um. Probably didn't anticipate the the amount of times we'd be using this equipment early on. They followed the CDC guidelines pretty stringently um, but uh, My personal opinion this does may not reflect those of my employer. So um, I'll, I'll qualify it with that as my personal opinion is is as the CDC guidelines uh, started loosening uh, and started to smack somewhat of, of desperation, <laughs> um, uh, my employer's uh, guidelines, uh, stayed stringent and, and got even more so. Uh, for example, at one point they were saying, okay, you need to be wearing a, um, uh, you need to be wearing a, uh, a face mask, uh, Uh, when you're dealing with any patient in close proximity and then uh, wear an N95 mask uh, if they're COVID positive or febrile or or have a difficulty, uh, a dyspnea complaint. And then it morphed into uh, you will wear full PPE on any suspected COVID-19 or confirmed positive patient and you will wear gloves uh, or you will wear uh, eye protection and a face mask on every single patient contact and every single patient will wear a face mask and that's what the the restrictions we're under right now everyone wears um uh, everyone wears a mask uh we don't go anywhere without a mask we don't say hello hi i'm i'm kelly with uh so-and-so ambulance service without a mask on and um Compliance been pretty good because these are habits we were in before. Um, uh, it's long been a, a policy at my employer that, that, for example, if we're working in cardiac arrest, um, that we don't intubate or perform an airway maneuver without uh, a face mask and a face shield on. And they're sticklers for that. Now, some of us, you know, a supervisor can't look over your shoulder 24-7. So not everyone was compliant with it. But we had uh, a pretty high degree of of compliance with that policy. So it wasn't a great leap to start doing more of it. Um, And probably two weeks ago, Uh, We got our we started getting uh, sufficient quantities of reusable P100 respirators in and we were brought in uh, every employee in every district was bought uh, was rotated through the headquarters for uh, or through their district headquarters for fit testing. And we were given a choice of a 3M half face P100 respirator or a full face respirator with uh, with the integrated face shield uh, and and mask and everything. and, And I chose that one. Um, just so I wouldn't have to deal with uh, uh, yet another um, problem with uh, pulling on and off eyewear Uh, and it's hot and it's uncomfortable uh, but it's effective so those things are issued to us now and we're using them on a regular basis so so I haven't felt like uh, I've been asked to to uh, render care to anyone and put myself at risk or at least at no more risk than anyone else would be in, in such a situation I've had all the equipment that I've needed and guidance as well. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds, I'm just listening, and it sounds like everybody is dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And, you know, we've got to do a little bit of overkill. You know, we were hearing about all the things that are happening in New York, and, you know, they're setting up oh, yeah. all these places, and we're not using them. Well, I'd rather you set them up and have them ready. Mm-hmm. than not have them ready and, and uh, you know, need. Uh, I'd rather have them not being used. But let's take a quick break. And then okay. on the other side, I want to come back and I want to ask you about any special protocols or care plans gotcha. that were developed. And then I do want to touch a little bit on from the educational standpoint of how you're doing your uh, work with your students and so on. But, okay. you know, your, your part... As your partner in EMS for over 40 years, Boundtree has made it their goal to provide you with more than just emergency medical supplies and equipment. Boundtree partners with you to create efficiencies within your agency, streamline your operations, and help you find ways to make the most out of your budget. Your dedicated account manager will be your true partner, acting as your personal advisor to help you determine which solutions are right for you and your specific needs. To find out more or to set up a new account, visit Boundtree.com or call 800-533-0523. And, you know, Kelly, so uh, as far as patient care, you know, we had Dr. Antebion a a couple shows Mm -hmm. back, and he really kind of opened our eyes to uh, some of the things that they were seeing in the field and some of the things, you know, uh, as far as dealing with hypoxemia, and uh, kind of doing things that, uh, you know, we normally don't do. And uh, whereas somebody might be uh, in the in the O2 sats in the 80s, where it would really kind of give the EMS providers uh, a little bit of pucker factor, he's having to back them off to say, okay, you know, they're, they're probably doing well, they're probably perfusing, you know, if they're talking to you and they're fine, let's not jump to conclusions and let's not... Uh, you know, let's give them some O2 instead of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, knocking them down and maybe intubating them because we know yeah. that intubating these patients now are, is really more detrimental. And really, we've known that intubating a patient is kind of detrimental in the sense of we got to get them off as soon as we get them back on, mm-hmm. or as soon as we get them on. But from your side, clinically, um, what, what are some of the things that have
1: been put in place that uh, is going on down here in Louisiana? Well, you know, on the safety side, you have to err on, on the side of provider safety and the, and, and patient rapport has suffered because uh, I don't think that, that, you know, my groove is is I go to someone's house and if grandma's sick, you know, I don't come in and start throwing my weight around and, and barking orders. I come in and, and I take the attitude that, that uh, you know, the, the emergency ended when I put the rig in park and I go in and... and and talk to people rather than interrogate or interview people. And likely as not, I'll sit on the couch next to granny and hold her hand and, and have a conversation. Uh, And that sort of thing is just not possible with, with the current uh, distancing and, and the the barriers that we have between us uh, in dealing with COVID-19. So first and foremost, you know, your, 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 your patient, your your patient rapport and patient contact and that sort of thing and the and the compassion that you can you can transmit and convey is is severely hampered by all the stuff we're having to do that said um there's still a a whole lot of uh, uh tlc can be conveyed through human touch and and we can still do that but we don't bring our equipment into homes unless we absolutely have to uh so we, we practice the ABCs, ambulate before carry. Uh, we, we go into homes if we absolutely have to, I, I still am, am, very leery about making a dyspneic patient walk any particular distance. Um, so we'll still go in. Um, but generally we stay outside. And if it is a PUI, a person under investigation or one who's confirmed COVID positive, uh, we try to limit uh, crew contact, uh, to, to one crew member. Uh, the EMT um, gloves up, puts on uh, a mask and, and eye protection, but stays back, and generally the only thing they touch is the foot of the stretcher when we load the patient in the rig, and the medic does the rest. Um, we try to limit that, and, and, and the EMT's job to really shine is, is decontaminating the truck uh, and doing a good job of it, uh, even more so than we, we normally do. We, we are severely curtailing any aerosolizing procedures, so if there is anything uh, that, that stirs up a bunch of particles such as suctioning, high-flow oxygen, BVM ventilation, CPAP, intubation, anything like that, uh, we're still okay with doing it but you need to, you know, we, we have to to go through the calculus. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Is this really necessary, or can it wait uh, without negatively impacting patient care until you get to a better environment to do it in? Um, and that's changed a little bit about what I do. You know, I, I don't neb people if they're satting well right now, um, whereas before I would rationalize, okay, they're wheezing a little bit, Um, If I give this NEB treatment now, and I give my corticosteroids now, I may limit the time they spend in the emergency department and limit the likelihood of a hospital admission, and that's a good thing. So, the earlier, the better. All right, cool. And it saves the emergency department a step. But... Now, uh, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. I don't think that the, the slight improvement in breath sounds and, and dyspnea in a patient who's already satting well with just low-flow supplemental oxygen uh, is worth the risk of aerosolizing COVID-19 particles around the cab, uh, around the module of the ambulance. So I don't do that. Um, and And that's really really it we all of our cardiac arrests. every single cardiac arrest is worked in full ppe by both crew members uh gloves gown face shield and and respirator um and and uh booties the only thing we're not wearing routinely is bouffants and gotta i'm i'm of torn i'm torn about that uh number one i think i'd look idiotic in a bouffant but i look pretty darn idiotic with my COVID 19 hair right now anyway um so it might need might be time to get a uh uh, a do-rag um in my my company's colors so i can hide this this mess of hair that i've I've gathered
0: yeah we think Um, that you know and we kind of you know just uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek that but we, we do have to worry about our hair. And, you know, for those who are, you know, have the longer hair, uh, especially females, I mean, that that's something that's going to attract and carry. And a lot more people are, you know, covering and, you know, uh, you know, surgical caps or whatever it is that we can find. I mean, even those paper ones, um, we really do have to start to think about how we're protecting ourselves and how we're keeping ourselves safe. And, uh, you know, it sounds like it's a very, very... Uh, Challenging time, but it does sound like you guys and and you know everybody that we've talked to have really been amazing You know Kelly we you know, we kind of know the challenges that go on in EMS, but when the balloon goes up You know we are the most resourceful. We are the Mm -hmm. most professional We're the most dedicated and the most committed to ensuring that we answer the call and uh, people are coming to work You know, they're scared, they're frustrated, they're nervous, but they're doing a job, man. And I think that that is really something to be prideful about. Mm -hmm. But if we switch gears a little bit, I've been catching your Facebook Lives, um, you know, your personality blows, but, uh, you know, I mean, (laughs) I do it for support. But, you know, you do have a big component of education. Uh, You know, usually you travel around the United States on the EMS World Tour to make sure that you bring your knowledge and education and personality To a lot of the uh, EMS uh, you know conferences around the United Mm -hmm. States and you've been trying to pick up that uh, Gauntlet and be online and and kind of uh, delivering some education to folks. I caught your capnography I thought it was interesting and um, But your students, you know you you were in Mm -hmm. the midst of EMT class So how are you doing it? How is it working? Are they not are they getting what they need uh, you know, aside from the uh, uh, you know the clinical time, I'm sure we understand that. But
1: how's that going for you? Oh, we we had to throw it out. Um, luckily, most of my students, uh, my my uh, advanced EMT class was ending March 31st anyway. So uh, all of my students were at least three quarters of the way through their their clinical rotations. Um, but then uh, all of the nursing homes and hospitals uh, shut down. Um, uh, you know, access, uh, actually I, I canceled clinicals before our clinical sites, uh, made it mandatory, and, and they were extremely grateful for that, They said, yeah, we were kind of wondering how to broach that topic with you, and I was like, no need to, man, I don't want to add to your burdens right now, it's tough enough for everybody, um, so what I wound up doing was, uh, there's there's some cushion built into how much clinical time and procedures and demographics and pathologies and stuff my students are, are supposed to to get and and I, I think we we got a little much needed forbearance from our bureau of EMS uh, on on holding people's feet to the fire over over the completion of those things so we were close enough that I could I could comfortably say uh, and be backed up by our status uh, our state. Office that okay, you guys are done, you're close enough to being done that I will not require any more of you in this current class. Um, now, EMT 360, uh, it really, really hurt. The way we were doing emt 360 because the way nancy and i were doing that class was was her idea was to get the students as many clinical contacts as possible and the and and uh you know to apply some context uh, uh to their learning and, and contextual learning is only valuable if, if there's context and rather than 200-plus clinical contacts, uh, patient contacts in their clinicals in 200-plus hours, uh, they got maybe 50, uh, not nearly as much as we wanted. So we had to pretty much, uh, and the school shut down, so we couldn't meet in person. So we shut down our classes and said, okay, you guys are done. You finish your online uh, self-study work uh, by uh, tomorrow is the deadline, and, um, and we will... Mark, you have successfully completed the course provided you've met your academic requirements and you are free to go take the National Registry Cognitive Exam and apply for provisional certification in Louisiana, which our state is allowing us to do. Um, a couple of our... our Our community colleges, uh, Acadians Program, and the community colleges they're associated with opened up uh, specifically for EMT testing. Uh, They'll be open next week for 10 days. Um, Bozier Parish Community College in the north part of the state stepped up to the plate and opened up their testing uh, program uh, for for a week uh, last week. And uh, a number of our students were able to go test, and they p- successfully passed their, their uh, cognitive exam. Um, so what that will mean is that they can uh, function as, uh, as EMTs and advanced EMTs, uh, and they have until, according to National Registry, until their next recertification period to pass the psychomotor exam. And in that time, we are going to set up uh, quarterly uh, psychomotor exam prep days where they go in and, and, and they'll practice those things in a testing kind of environment uh, to kind of get back in that groove and prep them for taking the psychomotor exam. And, and that's about all we can do. Uh, and moving forward, we have accelerated our plans to go to fully online courses with a boot camp style uh, um with a boot camp style psychomotor weekend, uh, we're gonna have several of those. And it's not optimal. It's not the way I like to do things, but that's our reality right now. And and hopefully when when this crisis passes, we'll be able to go back to EMT, EMT 360 the way I like to do it. Um, but our EMT program is pretty much mimicking our advanced EMT program. Uh, our advanced EMT program is is mostly online with monthly skills days. The only difference is is, is our EMT program, uh, our online EMT program. Rather than having monthly skills day, we're going to have a skills weekend, like quarterly, um, and uh, that's that's receiving a lot of interest. So much so that uh, we're we're kind of um, looking at uh, there are some some out of state uh, folks. Uh, from across the country that have uh, asked if, if because uh, EMS education has been severely impacted in other states as well, and they're asking, hey, uh, um, if you're doing an online thing, can we get some, some students in your online program? So we're working out agreements with skills proctors and, and, and travel agreements to, to see if uh, when the travel restrictions are, are lifted, uh, can these guys come down, uh, grab a hotel room for a couple of days and, and spend uh, a Friday, Saturday and Sunday uh, in intensive skills training before they go test. So that's where we are right now. And um, hopefully that's not our new normal, but uh, I do think that that the work with hybrid classes that we've been doing prior to this has prepped us for this moment. And, you know, one of the things I've been doing is is a a number of the EMS associations that have booked me at EMS conferences uh, over the years have also stepped up to the plate for their members and they're hosting, if they can't do live conferences, they're hosting webinars. And they're asking some of their their, their preferred speakers to, to host uh, or to conduct webinars, and, and they're doing that for their members, which I think is, is really nice. And and uh, um, can't wait till we, we get back and, and enjoy some, some face-to-face fellowship. But for now, uh, I'm I'm perfectly willing to do it over the uh, over the internet.
0: Well, I want to thank you for everything you're doing. You know, both from the education side and uh, you know, delivering the highest quality of patient care that you can. And for everybody out there, man, I just wanna tip my hat again and, and you guys just keep continue to answer the call and do what you've gotta to do to deliver the highest quality of patient care. But Kelly, I think it's about that time for you to get us up on out of here. Yeah,
1: yeah, it is. And and, and I'll close by saying, Man, I am I am you know, I haven't put out a whole lot of, of, of work. This hasn't been tough for me other than the fact that, you know, the stress of of what i was exposed to and inadvertently and didn't know it um but um you know our our run volume and tempo has not been uh, you know extremely stressful uh, and i've been given all the support i need to to function and, and do my job uh but i am extremely impressed by my colleagues around the country who were uh, making do with with less resources than i have and and killing it not not in literal terms but they're doing a great job of it um and, you know, man, this is, people are noticing. If we waste this opportunity right now, Chris, when we are in the public eye and, and immensely favorable opinion, if we waste this as a profession, uh, uh, this opportunity to, to get some of the things done for our profession that we need, uh, we'll, have, we'll have wasted a golden opportunity. But that, hey, that's me. Um, we'd like to hear what you think. How is COVID-19 affecting your service? What changes in clinical practice, both in your EMS system and at the hospital, have you noticed? How are you dealing with the forced isolation and your education, and everything else? If you got ideas, man, we want to hear them. Share them with us at the show at ems1.com. And from myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. You guys be safe. We're going to catch you next week.